You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Acting Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. All right, so let's just uh, get right into it. So, guys, you're the experts. I want an electric vehicle. That's going to be my next car. Right now, we have an, you know, a, a Toyota Corolla hatchback. It's never caught on fire. Um, but it seems like every headline is that every electric vehicle is going to catch on fire if I you know, look at it sideways. What's the, what's the truth here? And I live in New York City, so I, I, we have to pay for a parking garage because parking on the street is impossible. I would, you know, I would start just by saying that the truth is that it's 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 a risk that's very rare. Um, it, it's not happening to every Chevy Bolt or every electric vehicle out there. Um, but you know, the the way in which these types of fires are happening is really different from what we've seen the majority of the time in other vehicle fires, which typically typically take place after a crash. This is happening, you know, in your garage while you're sleeping. So it, it's an extra additional layer of uncertainty and fear for uh, vehicle owners. Well, wait, why? But why is that going on? It seems like Chevy said, "Hey, the Chevy Bolt, we want to replace all of them." But you just said it's not happening to all of them. It's like, how many is it happening to? Should I be afraid? Well, Chevy, Chevy uh, GM has seemed to take a lot of steps to try to reassure their customers here. Um, apparently, they're going to, re- I think they're going to replace the batteries um, that were made by LG with batteries made by a different manufacturer. Um, so they've had a lot of updates and a lot of humps and, and, and stumbles on the way to the conclusion. But I, I think you, we, we're seeing that a lot from, in, in a lot of these battery fire situations, for instance, in the Chrysler Pacifica hybrid problem, they still can't even identify the root cause of the issue. Um, and we're four months out from the recall. Um, so who knows when those folks are going to be getting a repair. So um, there's a lot of uncertainty around uh, lithium batteries and the risks and, you know, in some cases, exactly how these fires are starting, even the manufacturers still aren't aware. So there's a lot of uncertainty here. And Fred probably has a lot more to say about that uncertainty than I do. So um, a couple things to note. One is that there are no standards from the federal government for how safe these things have to be or what the integrity of the uh electric battery has to be. Uh, Second thing to know is the nature of the fire is different than the nature of a fire from a a conventional car. Third thing to note is all cars can catch on fire. So there's no car that is invulnerable to fire. But the mechanism of the electric fires is different. If you have a regular car and it's burning, you can pull up a hose and you can squirt water on it and it will stop. That is not the case with electric battery fires in many cases because the nature of the batteries is that they have both the fuel and the oxidizer enclosed within the battery, kind of like a, well, I don't want to say bomb, but you know, a device that can burn without any external um, inputs. So it's different when, when you try to put it out 
you basically have a lot of difficulty doing that and you may not be able to do it at all. Tesla recommends that you have, uh, when if one of their batteries catches fire, that you extinguish it by applying 3000 gallons of water. So just for your reference, a brand new fire truck only has to have 300 gallons of water. So, uh, you know, you might, say, you might say to make it acceptable, you need to follow every Tesla with 10 fire trucks. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but, you know, it's just a different nature of the fire for with an electric vehicle. In terms of frequency, I don't think there's enough data out there right now to say whether the, the frequency of the batteries uh, battery fires is significantly higher than that of conventional vehicles. Uh, there's no data either to say it's it's less. It does seem clear that they spontaneously burn um, in unusual circumstances, at least anecdotally, more often than uh, gasoline-fueled cars. Would you say that's a fair assessment, Michael? He's thinking about it. He's thinking, well, he, he's a lawyer. He thinks I just talk. All right. Can you hear me? Um, I would say that's a fair assessment. I, I don't know that I kind of lost track there, but I, I don't, I don't know that um, we, I don't know if we have the data to bear that out one way or the other. Um, at this point, it seems like we're a little early to make that conclusion. So I gotta ask, the first thing you said was that there's no standards for these vehicles. Like how, how do they get on the road? Because I mean, there's standards for everything. Like, you know, the, the crash worthiness, the airbags deployment, how, how did this get to market if there's no standard at all? There's you know, a, this is a great question. Like, is it around the, the frame for the batteries? Is it the chemical makeup of the batteries or is it just kind of this, the wild west? It's just the wild west. There are yeah. standards There are standards for uh, batteries used in aircraft, commercial aircraft in particular, but those standards have not been applied to cars. Uh, the, the administration, NHTSA so far, it seems to be changing, but so far NHTSA has been very reluctant to put any to impose any standards or restrictions on the development of electric vehicles. But I mean, has, has that happened before in the auto industry where they're just kind of like, hey, let's just try something and see what happens? It's, it's happening right now with crash avoidance features, automatic emergency braking and things like that because there are no federal performance, minimum performance standards for those. So we're seeing, you know, phantom braking, we're seeing, you know, some that simply just don't work some that don't work in low light and other conditions. And it's literally a, a product of the government saying, hey, you guys take a few years and put whatever you want out there as long as you meet X threshold and get this stuff in all cars. Whether it works or not, we're not going to put out a rule and tell you how to do this exactly. Just put it in the cars and we'll say it's safe. I don't think that approach works. Um, I think we need minimum performance standards. NHTSA is supposedly putting those out this year on automatic emergency braking. But in the meantime, we've had a lot of consumers reporting um, issues with these systems. And NHTSA has a few investigations open into the issues right now. 
okay, so wait, my, my car has, you know, automatic emergency braking. It has lane control, whatever. So it gives me a ding every time it thinks I've changed lanes unexpectedly. Um, it has seat belts. Like <laughs> there, there's standards for at least seat belts for safety, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But and like they, they didn't just say like put in a seatbelt and we'll see what happens or right. put it in the airbag and you know hopefully it goes off. But right. for all of these really cool features, because I look at these stuff on these cars and I think this is awesome. I can you know quote unquote let my car drive itself. It drives my wife nuts, um, and she won't turn on any of these features. And maybe she's the smart one. Like if none of this stuff is te- like, I, it, how is this possible? Like what what. Yeah. You seem troubled, which means you have an understanding of what's going on. Yeah. I thought, I assumed all of this stuff would work. Like, there's got to be some, ba- like, what is there? The- I would say this. There are a ton of features on your car that could impact your safety that where there are no federal minimum performance standards that, that regulate them. Um, hey, particularly Michael, can you adjust the your- technologies. Can you adjust your camera, Michael? I can only see the top half of your head, and I can't tell whether you're laughing or crying probably a little of both this week <laughs> but is this a problem unique to the u.s or like does european do, do they have better standards i think the answer right now is yes they do they've been a lot more active over the last decade and making sure that not only they that they put standards out to make manufacturers meet uh through certification minimum performance standards but they've also advanced some of the crash avoidance standards and advanced mandating that technology, working technology on cars. And there are areas, and this is an area actually where NHTSA is working now with, with um, European and other international, is on the um, battery management systems created by a, a United Nations group. That, that is effectively what NHTSA has said is going to solve a lot of these electric vehicle fires, um, is software that can detect and do things to prevent them, essentially. That's the, the short of it. Um, and, you know, NHTSA says they're going to be effectively harmonizing internationally, which is, you know, a good thing in a lot of ways. It provides certainty for manufacturers and it um, assures that they have, you know, they're, they're designing to the same standard, whether it's Australia, Europe, or America. And so it leads to efficiencies in manufacturing while also um, helping ensure that batteries are safe worldwide. Okay, but so Fred, you're the engineer. Is this a software problem or is this more of a battery chemical composition problem? It seems like lithium ion, like you, you can't put them into check luggage on a plane um because some thermal runaway um is this is, it, is this really just a software problem where we, hey we can fix this and we'll stop no uh, it's a software and a hardware problem so and here's how they're related okay the thermal runaway is started by excess heat and excess heat in the battery can be caused either by a manufacturing defect or an external short circuit or or excessive demand on the batteries. The excessive demand on the batteries is something that can be controlled by software. The other two situations are not related to software. So they're both hardware and software issues. Uh, quality gets into it, design gets into it, and, and um, 
Yeah, and software can get into it too, but typically only when the car is underway. Okay, but these fires tend to happen when the car is stationary and off. Is that correct? I don't have the statistics on that. The ones that are widely reported happen when the cars are stationary, um, but I simply don't have comprehensive information that would allow me to state that it's more frequent that way. Right, okay. there, there, there remain a number of um, electric battery fires that occur due to crashes. So um, the data is the data on those is, is where the issue lies now. We're, we're, you know, the data that's collected on crashes in America is simply not sufficient to allow us to evaluate things like this that are needed. Um, we're hoping that changes. NHTSA is going to start introducing some more data on level two and higher vehicles, which should capture a number of the um, electric vehicles. Um, but that's primarily going to be crash data. Um, but that will help us, you know, determine how many incidents of, of vehicle fire are occurring in EVs and along with the usual federal databases. Okay, but it's fair to say that my uh, my internal combustion engine car that runs off gasoline, when it's turned off and parked, it's not going to spontaneously combust, right? Or does that happen? Yeah, there, you see, because uh, uh, gasoline, yeah. there, there are three factors that you need to have for a conventional fire. You need to have a fuel source, which could be the gasoline or it could be some combustible material. You need to have oxygen, right? And you need to have a heat source. So those three things are pretty well, two out of the three are pretty well controlled in a conventional car. The problem with the, the EVs is you don't need the external air to have that happen. And it can be, the, the heat source can be self-catalyzing due to a manufacturer defect. Okay. So, you, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I would add there too, to Anthony's question, we do see, fires occurring in conventional and in internal combustion engines like this. Invariably, they always start in a computer module or an electrical module. Um, so it's, 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 it's not totally unrelated to the battery issue. It's, it's a power device that remains active when the vehicle's turned off. Okay. Um, so the next thing you mentioned was the amount of water that uh, Tesla suggests for putting out these fires is 3,000 gallons, which I, I imagine California is their biggest market. Uh, it's in the middle of a drought. Uh, probably not the greatest sales point there. It, is there something else? I mean, are fire departments even trained for this? The companies do have uh, training programs for the fire departments. I'm not an expert on those programs, but I know that they exist. And they have documentation that is distributed to fire departments. Um, I don't know how aggressive they are about educating the fire departments. M my belief is, based on a few things that I've read, that typically the fire departments, uh, when they confront one of these things, they'll call the manufacturer and say, what do we do now? Oh. You know, that, that may be changing as they become more common, but you know, the fire departments are always busy, so they're, they're not interested in a training program for a hazard they don't think exists really. Right. Um, and I would um, add there too, there's that I think it takes a lot more, it has taken a lot more than just the 3,000 gallons to put out some of these fires. I know that it's taken uh, at least 30,000 gallons of water to put out a couple of the Tesla fires. So that's just, you know, that's almost a, a, 
like Fred earlier was saying, 10 fire trucks, maybe 100. Um, and what we've seen happen in some of these circumstances is they think they've put the battery out and then haul it to a facility, uh, an enclosed facility, and it catches, re-catches and uh, reignites and um, burns, burns again and threatens another area. Um, or that could be hours or days later. <laughs> later? Yeah. Oh, Mike. So, okay. So, M Michael, you and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. And, and I said, you know, we park our car in a garage. And if I want an EV, you're saying maybe my garage won't let me park there? Yeah, there have been a number of garages. In fact, uh, one, of the, one of the garages I frequent in D.C. Had, had a sign outside that said, no parking if you are an owner of one of these Chevy Bolts that has been recalled for battery fires. And um, we've seen NHTSA this year, they've started becoming a little more active in putting out and getting out to consumers alerts on these do not, do not park outside or do not drive type warnings that go along with recalls occasionally. And they're getting a lot of, um, you know, that, that's not only alerting owners of these cars, it's alerting people whose property may be put at risk by them. Um, and that results in a lot of problems for owners who can't find a place to park. I know you know how hard it is to park in New York City. And once you get a spot, it's kind of like gold. Yeah. <laughs> Being kicked out of it is super expensive um, and, and leads to a lot of difficulties. So being told that you have to park outside for months on an issue that the manufacturer hasn't fully resolved yet can be extremely fr frustrating for owners. Okay, so is this, um, is, are the battery issues, is this mainly because of the, the lithium ion and our, our future batteries they've talked about with solid state, is that gonna solve this issue? Well, it may. Uh, the, what I've read about the future solid state batteries is that they don't have the same fire potential as the lithium ion batteries. But I think that, you know, we need to get some experience with them as well. It seems like the chemistry is more benign, but there's been no industrial experience with them yet or a widespread experience. It's also that the solid state batteries, I believe don't have the same energy density as the lithium ion batteries. So they may get um, heavier. That's a separate issue. Yeah, and that, that is an issue with batteries that you know we're, we are concerned about is the weight. Um, the amount of energy required to power a vehicle using a battery weighs a lot more than, than um, gasoline. And um, that, that really makes a difference in crash forces and the types of injuries and trauma we see in crashes. <laughs> so are you guys telling me I shouldn't get a battery electric vehicle anytime soon? I don't know, what's your risk tolerance? <laughs> I mean, the reason I went with the Toyota Corolla is because Consumer Reports said, "Ah, this is safe and and you know it can survive a crash." But I mean, yeah, I, my risk tolerance is I want to live when I'm in a car. So, well, I mean, here's the way to think of it: there's no standards, right? So, right now, the probability of of, of catastrophic failure of a fire is determined by the, the company itself and its design, its quality control, all those kinds of things. And to, to some extent, it's determined by the company's capacity for handling risk. You know, what is their risk tolerance? Because ultimately with no standards, it's only a product liability 
exposure to the company that's going to limit what they feel is appropriate for the uh, for the battery or somebody's wild ass guess as to what the appropriate uh, safety is going to be for the batteries. So this is, there's no standards for the auto for the conventional cars. There are standards for that. There, you know the, the crash resistance, the uh, containment of spills, all those kinds of things. So if you are the type of person who says, yeah, the companies do a great job and everything's going to be okay, I'm not worried because the big company is behind us. Go ahead and buy one. Um, if if you're a little bit more skeptical, you may want to be circumspect about that. Well, what does my insurance company think? That's the, I mean, because, you know, the insurance and super highway safety, they crash test everything and they, like, is it, does it cost more? I think that, that EVs generally perform better in crash tests is what they're finding. At least that's what we've heard from uh, the folks at NHTSA. And so it, it, it's kind of a balancing act there. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're saving, you know, they're protecting their passengers very well or better for the most part. But, you know, we, we, we remain a little concerned about the weight. Um, Brad, anything? I don't, know, I don't, I don't know the answer. I don't, I don't have the actuarial, uh, actuarial information, but crashes occur much more commonly than spontaneous fires. So I would think from an overall actuarial perspective, you'd probably say, well, I'm going to worry about survivability in a crash before I'm going to worry about the susceptibility of the batteries to fire. I think if companies can identify a specific risk associated with that, they'd probably respond. But, I, but I'm speculating. I've never heard from my own insurance company that you really shouldn't buy one of these cars. I've never really asked them though either. Right. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how insurance companies operate in this area. We, you know, we've had some experience with how they respond to the um, Hyundai and Kia fire situations. And essentially to me, it seems like it's a numbers game and they write it off and keep moving along, you know? Um, and I assume they would do the same here, particularly, you know, this is, this is not, it's not like this is a, you know, mass casualty events spreading across America. There have been a, you know, a few fires okay. um, at this point. So it's not something I think that's completely on their radar yet. Okay. So this is, this is not as a, a, a big problem as what you portray and what's portrayed in the media. Cause it seems like, Oh, these cars are exploding everywhere. I mean, the Chevy Bolt issue is, you know, a big one because people are sleeping and they're all of a sudden their house is on fire, but you're both saying this is relatively rare. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is just, I mean, if, if three or four fires out of, you know, 50,000 vehicles, I would call that, you know, fairly rare. It's, some, it's certainly something to be concerned about, but it's rare. Okay. Um, I don't know that, I, you know, we get a lot of calls from people who are worried about their vehicle catching on fire. And, you know, in this area, there's so much uncertainty that, you know, the first thing we advise them to do is do, you know, try to stay in touch with your manufacturer as much as possible and get your updates. If you have any hanging updates out there, there are a lot of updates that come out um, from your manufacturer occasionally through service bulletins. If you own a Tesla or a vehicle like that, they're beaming into your vehicle overnight. Uh, and so they're, you have to stay on top of the maintenance of these vehicles, just like you would a conventional vehicle. 
to ensure that you're, you're, you're not setting yourself up for other problems. So will the next time I get buy a car, will they try and throw an undercoating and also a flame retardant fire, like driver's seat? Like I don't, I don't think it's reached that point, but your driver's seat is already flame retardant. So you don't have to worry about that. There is a standard for that. Oh, well, that, that, that's good to know there's still some standards. That's wonderful. Okay. All right. Well, this sounds, you know, I, I think it sounds a little overblown probably than it really is, but it's definitely a risk. I get this now. But the, the Kia and Hyundai fires you were just mentioning, that was in a traditional gasoline vehicle. Right, that right. wasn't electric vehicles. Right, and that was that was a traditional gasoline vehicle, and it was uh, an engine-related issue with oil leaking and pistons blowing holes and and things. But uh, they've still not quite corrected that issue. But that is that is a non-crash fire situation. But it primarily those are happening um, out on the roads while people are driving. Okay, it's, it's fair to say that the people whose houses have burned down because of this don't feel that it's an unimportant problem. Right. But it's fairly rare. I think it's also important to note that it's been fairly widespread in the industry. It's not just Chevy. Um, other companies have had the same problem. Tesla's had spontaneous battery fires. Uh, I think BMW had them, didn't they, Mike? There's um, there's the ones that are, NHTSA's investigating the Chrysler Pacifica hybrids. The um, There's a Volkswagen uh, I believe, and two or three other manufacturers. They're basically, but that's basically everyone who had batteries from um, Hyundai and Kia are in there as well, from LG. So they're trying to track down to see if any other manufacturers used LG batteries and might be uh, at risk of fire at this point. So I think there have been five or six uh, major manufacturers at this point that have, that have issued recalls and are involved in, in, in EV battery fires or hybrid battery fires in the case of the Pacifica. What, by manufacturers, do you mean the auto manufacturers or the battery manufacturers? Auto manufacturers. Okay. Typically, typically, well, typically the auto manufacturers are, are, make, are making their batteries for the, let's see. Sorry, that's not right. I'm thinking of something else. Um, so LG in Korea was making batteries for five or six different manufacturers, different types of batteries. But LG had either some kind of manufacturing or production or design or quality issue that led to failures in this, in a wide range of automotive batteries, um, mostly EV and, and, and a hybrid in there as well. So that's what NITS is looking into to see if there are any more out there or any other companies that were using LG. So LG seemed to be having a problem with the lithium ion batteries that resulted in most of these reports that we're hearing and most of this media we, that, that we've heard about recently. Okay. Was the, the Chevy Bolt, was that LG or was that SK or? That was LG. Okay, and who and made then, And now, now GM has moved to a different uh, supplier. Okay, and who, may, who makes Tesla's batteries? I Do believe make Tesla makes those. Okay. And GM is, I think, moving to make their own batteries. And I think I think Ford too, but it, it tends to be a trend for the companies to move towards internal battery manufacturing. But it's a big deal to put together a battery factory. Okay. But, all right. I mean, <laughs> so are either of you uh, EV owners? Nope. No. No, I, I mean, I think if, if my next car would probably be a hybrid at this point. Um, 
but I mainly because I like to drive when I drive, it's typically a long way and I don't have the uh, patience to stop every few hours and wait an hour for my charge to happen. So that's, that's really why a hybrid would probably be ideal for me. All right. And this is somewhat heretical, but I've, I've been looking into the overall carbon capture of electric vehicles. And um, unless you've got a solar powered source for your electricity, um, the, really the marginal benefit is pretty small. That's interesting. Because I mean, that's the big selling point is, hey, we're getting off of, of CO2 generating fuels. Yeah, um, it is. And, and I think people need to look a little bit more closely at that. Um, when people put, you know, no CO2 license plate on the car, that's great. But, you know, the fact is they're, they're merely moving it from one place to another. And uh, it may be overall worthwhile to clean up the cities, but you got to wonder about those people who are having to consume that and the burden of that extra CO2 that's being moved into their faraway neighborhood. Well, but that's a separate issue. Right, right. All right, guys. I, I mean, I think this was really helpful for me and hopefully for people listening, it was really helpful. So uh, oh, what have we learned? Uh, there's no standards on this stuff. Fire departments don't know how to handle it. And, uh, you know, it really just comes down to your risk tolerance, I guess. I still like the idea, though. I still do. I, you know. Well, and I think another important point is if standards can be developed for commercial aircraft, using the same technology, why can't they be developed for automobiles? Yeah, in marine batteries, they have to follow a standard too, I assume. Maybe not. Neither they, be they, I'm sure they have an industry standard for that. And there are, you know, there are industry standards for, for manufacturers that they may or may not want to meet and don't have to. There's just nothing they have to certify to federally ensuring that these batteries are safe before they sell them to consumers. Wow. <laughs> May you live in exciting times. <laughs> the Center for Auto Safety is the nation's premier independent, member driven, nonprofit consumer advocacy organization dedicated to improving vehicle safety, quality, and fuel economy on behalf of all drivers, passengers, and pedestrians. Visit autosafety.org to donate today. And we have a lot of things, you know, I think Fred has a lot of great ideas about things that people don't think about, but that are super critical on that stuff, which is the actual age and life span of the components that make up these electronic systems and um, how hard it is to harden them over time um, to prevent things like, you know, the Takata airbag crisis from happening. You know, in, in, in 20 years, it might be because 80 million circuit boards were not printed correctly and we have a similar problem. So you just, you, you never know. I mean, Tesla had that with their infotainment system where it was only certified to last a couple of years and then it started failing on everybody. Yeah, it's total bullshit. And I think there should be a, like a, and it, it, similar things have happened with post-crash stuff because of 3G getting phased out. And right. I think there should be a lot, you know, you've got an eight year EPA warranty on your catalytic converter and stuff. I think there needs to be like a 10 year safety warranty on your electric components that are safety critical 
Yeah, and how long does the radar units last? Who knows? We don't know. They know. <laughs> well, here's another one for you. Uh, you have an airbag in your car, right? Yep. The airbag inflator is a little device that burns rapidly. I don't want to say explodes because that's a bad word, but it burns rapidly, creates gas that inflates the airbag. There is no federal standard for how carefully or how well those have to be manufactured. There is no qualification procedure for the airbags. Uh, Wait, airbag you can use ammonium nitrate if you wanted to. Wait, uh, like so I can use any, literally any gas I wanted? If you're a manufacturer, you can stick whatever you want in there. Now, <laughs> you're likely to have some product liability problems, but there's no federal standard for how... Uh, acceptance or qualification of those airbag inflators. Again, is this a US specific problem? Worldwide. Or, that one was worldwide. How, like, so what a, what a manufacturers use as a gas, as an accelerant, not an accelerant, but the, the gas. It's different materials, lead azide is in some of them. They use- um, Wanadine is one of them, I believe. What's lead azide? I, I know lead I don't want my to breathe. Yeah, so it's not it's not a real popular device or it's not a real popular propellant, but you know the airbags hardly ever go off, I guess, and so you hardly ever breathe it. I, I don't know. There's there's a variety of materials. I don't have the list in my head. I apologize for that. One, I think the the most common one is guanidine nitrate, and that's the one that was X amount more expensive than ammonium nitrate is the reason that Takata went with the ammonium nitrate that ended up causing that huge issue. Oh my God. And uh, the problem is not the ammonium nitrate per se. The problem is that over time it degrades because there's no requirement that the company test this, uh, test them over time to make sure they won't degrade. So they were perfectly fine when they were new, but there were little pills inside it filled with ammonium nitrate. And over time, the pills degraded, fell apart. And because they fell apart, they burned much more rapidly than they were supposed to. Um, you can make inflators with ammonium nitrate that would be safe, but it requires very careful quality control, qualification, and, and uh, a lot of testing that the companies were unwilling to do. There is no requirement that they do that. And so the root cause of the Takata airbag <laughs> problem was really not the Takata airbag uh, inflators. It was the absence of standards that required Takata to build them uh, sufficiently durably. So, so wait, I'm driving a either a large battery that can explode on me or a vehicle filled with gasoline, which is flammable. And then I'm surrounded by little tubes and pills of ammonium nitrate, which is, yeah. you know, the terrorist's yeah. cocktail choice. Oh, welcome to our world. No, like, why, why, like this is insane. Like why, why? I mean, why not just the CO2 canisters? Is that not move fast enough or nitrogen or, or. Well, wasn't there a president who once said, let the market decide. Uh, this is what you get for that. Yeah. Wasn't he French and then they behead them. Isn't that. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Ah. Uh... And NHTSA's just kind of sitting back going, twiddling their thumbs? Or, I mean, there's good people at these agencies. You know, they, they, they try to pin down folks with enforcement actions when they see something like this. For instance, 
there have been a couple of propellant issues recently. Um, I know that there was a uh, seatbelt pretensioner that was exploding in some vehicles and they had to step in and enforce it there and enforce a recall. And there have been a number of situations like that that we've seen where there's uh, smaller propellant issues on a smaller scale, nothing like Takata. But um, so that's one arm of them enforcing it. The problem is that they're not doing anything to prevent the manufacture of these problematic things, just like they're not doing the same thing with crash avoidance and in other areas. They, while not regulating, they basically open Pandora's box for, you know, whatever manufacturer comes in and whatever they decide to put on the road. Um, so that's where we are right now. Um, but, you know, there's a chance that this United Nations standard is a success and that, you know, we don't see as many fires of this type and, you know, that's what we hope for. Okay, so, but we know how long a lot of things in an automobile will last. I mean, manufacturers will warranty an engine for 130,000 miles. It's going to last longer than that. We know that. And, you know, uh, transmissions, they'll do similar sorts of things. They'll last. They, you know, more or less know, but they've never done that with airbags to find out how long they last. Nope. There's you know, GM, no and, uh, GM did a lot of that. Uh, and the they trade was after the fact to try to get out from under the recall they did a lot of age testing and and things but um it wasn't persuasive to nitsa in the end and they had to recall all of those vehicles um but it doesn't appear and, and that's something we just uh, we haven't seen enough and we haven't seen a lot of age testing and you know vibration testing and all the stresses that occur on vehicles and we don't have any knowledge that manufacturers are carrying that out on a lot of the electric components. You know, we see failures in different climates. I start to get complaints on some things in North Canada and they migrate southward sometimes. So it's, it's, it's interesting that different components are affected in different ways. And we think there need to be some standards around that to, to make sure that consumers are protected and that long-term their car safety systems continue to function properly. So, Fred, what were you saying? What, what is this called in the industry? Oh, in the trade, these are called single-shot devices. They're widely used in the military. Uh, they're widely used in things like ocean engineering, in um, oil exploration. And you know, use them once and that's all. There is a qualification procedure for them in the military that's onerous, but they have very specific requirements for them. And they end up having... <coughs> having to prove that there is 99% reliability with something like 99.9% .9 confidence. It's a statistical test that you make after a certain number of, of tests. And it's a large number of tests. But if you consider a market for millions and millions of these devices, it seems like uh, that similar tests could and should be used for these before they're allowed in the market. You can easily amortize the cost of that test over these very large number of, de of devices that you're going to build. So uh, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a big gap in the development of automotive safety devices compared to what you would find in military use for comparable devices. And that's surprising to me because I, I started uh, sailing about a year ago and I have a you know a personal flotation device a life preserver that has a co2 cartridge in it and they yeah. look it's only gonna last five years 
and you need to check it every few months to look for a tab on it and make sure it's still active. And so they know how long these things will last, but they're just, is it just like the tobacco industry pretending, oh, we've never done the research, we don't know, to be willfully ignorant come lawsuit time or? I'd be speculating as to why they haven't done it. So I don't know, but I do know that they have not done it, even though they could. But I mean, I imagine the US military has done it for its purposes and needs because they don't want to have things fail on a battlefield. Well, right, they don't want to, you know, they don't want, well, let me put it this way. They want things to be very predictable and reliable in operation. They have critical needs for that. Uh, the same standards have not been applied to similar automotive devices. So what's going to change this? We have to wait for some horrible deaths and recalls. Wait, didn't that already happen with Takata? Well, I don't know, Michael. You want to weigh in on that? You know, I, at, at this point, you know, there we're not. I don't. I just don't think we have the type of defect, especially because a lot of these things they still even know what the root cause is. If it's one thing, if it's different things, a lot of the battery fires seem to be coming from from bad production from LG. But other than that, we, you know, it's not something that we have seen a lot of, you know, again, it's rare. So I, I don't know that they're at the, we're at the point of even mentioning this in the same breath as Takata, which is, a, a, you know, a, a, a conscious choice by a manufacturer to put a product on the market that they knew through testing was going to be a problem and then waiting 13 years or so before be forced to reveal that that truth so at this point you know i think we're far earlier in development on the electric vehicle batteries and we're you know it's you know mistakes are being made in production and design and hopefully when they happen you know manufacturers respond quickly and, and get these vehicles out of garages and fixed um, so that owners don't have to deal with some of the headaches we're seeing right now i mean i I, I'm not going to ride in the car anymore. I'm just going to walk from now on and not on the roads, just on just pasture land from now on. Well, horses have their own set of problems. Yeah, oh, they, I'm not going near horses, okay? They're a scare. I don't even know how they stand upright with those tiny little legs. Yeah, they're, they're bizarre. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I want to get into depth on this on, on future episodes is to find out about what other things that Fred, you're talking about haven't been tested. Because again, like the, the crash avoidance system, the, the automatic emergency braking, I think that feature's awesome. I have no idea why there's a button on my steering wheel to disable it. I don't even know if that button does anything. I press it every now and then just for fun, yeah. but it doesn't do anything. And you know, uh, the automatic um, lane centering thing, that's not that great. Uh, but I, you know, I like to scare my wife on long road trips and say, look, the, the steering wheel's turning itself. She gets very upset and yells at me and says she's going to teach our kid to drive. She should. Right. <laughs> she definitely should. The thing is, she's teaching, like a good outcome. Yeah. She's teaching him to learn on manual. And I'm like, where is he going to buy that car? Yeah, you, you need to work on the Samino safety culture. <laughs> well, look, you know, I'm sober when I'm behind the wheel. That's pretty good. That's good. You got a head start on 50% of America. Exactly. And I'm afraid of all the other drivers around me. That's good. Yeah, I'm a mirror guy. I like to look in my mirrors constantly. <coughs> That's just a vanity issue with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was telling Michael the other day, whenever I'm driving, I feel like a zebra on the Serengeti. You know, I'm just kind of yes. going down, 
just minding my own business and always being aware that there's going to be a lion jumping out of the brush somewhere and going for my throat. Yeah, but it's a lion with rabies and bipolar disorder. Right. Yeah, it's it's going to be your fault no matter what happens. (laughs) New York State, I want the the intersection where I live at, there is a crash there at least once a month. It's because people can't make left turns. Like someone's trying to make a left turn and the other person's saying, oh, I bet I can beat you. Oh, yeah. They, They never do. It's a, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> still like driving. I don't know why. Death yeah. wish. <laughs> All right. I think, I think we've definitely got a lot of information covered today. Um, right. We definitely got to do this again. Yeah, All I right. think we can talk about okay. this for a long Pleasure. time. Yep. Michael, Fred, thank you so much. All right. Tell all your friends. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.